0: everybody welcome back to the second supergirl supercast i am lisa schmeiser and in no particular order and completely selected by randomizer i'd like to introduce you first to michael gabriel hello i'd also like to introduce you to mandy self hi and Jess Vieter. Yes. There we <laughs> go. Like A I almost called you Jess Aviator. So <laughs> that's fine. I'll go with that. Jess <laughs> Vieter. So before uh, what we did the last time was we went around, we talked a little bit about how we got into Supergirl and our relationship to the show, to the Berlantiverse um at large. And I think we can call it a, a verse at this point. There's like four shows that he's he's running in the same shared uh fictional construct. Or to um you know, just, just the comics. So I'd like to start, um, Mandy, can you tell me a little bit about how you came to start watching this show and where the attraction is and, and how you got into it?
1: Uh, so I watch all the superhero TV shows except for, uh, legends of tomorrow, uh, which has more to do with the fact that I got married last year and my schedule was crazy and less to do with the show. But then I heard it wasn't very good. So <laughs> I didn't bother to catch up to it. Uh, so when Supergirl started, I was like, oh, well, of course I'll watch this. And it's about uh, a female superhero. And I'm definitely about that. So uh, I started watching and really enjoyed it. And then due to the whole marriage thing, it kind of dropped it off. But then when it came back to Netflix, I marathoned the whole thing. <laughs> Oh, good woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it turns out like combining houses and cutting off your cable and stuff is not really good for TV watching, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. And, um, I, the show to me, uh, meets that same place that flashes, which is unlike arrow, which is so attempting to be dark and angsty, uh, it's like the first season of Flash and that it's just happy and joyful and it's just it's just fun to watch. Uh and uh even as Flash gets darker, uh, Supergirl is not and Supergirl is still hope and optimism. And uh I, I th- you know i really miss that in my superman uh, since movie superman does not <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: have that uh, and so uh, it's it's really great to see that from supergirl i have not i don't read uh, dc comics i am almost all marvel all the time so Can i don't really I interrupt marvel-
0: for a minute to note that your skype your skype avatar is actually a uh a fan illustration of a very young steve rogers saying avengers assemble
1: (laughs) Uh, it's actually not a fan illustration that's a that's a scotty young uh from uh baby avengers versus baby x-men
0: oh Uh, my gosh thank you for schooling me on that that's great
1: (laughs) yeah it's a a really hilarious comic where the x-men steal bucky bear and the avengers have to get him back it's
0: is it on marvel unlimited yet I believe it is. Yes. Okay. I'm going to have to go find it. Thank you for, thank you for schooling me. This is awesome. So yeah, you're, you're clearly, you're clearly Marvel, but you, but you're watching the show. Awesome.
1: Yeah. I watch all the DC shows. So I, and I re, really, it's mostly because of Michael, who's also on this podcast. who's my friend, who's a huge DC fan. So it's true. I blame him. <laughs>
0: That's a great segue into Michael. Cause let's talk about, how did you come to this show? Um, how does it fit into your wider nerdosphere as it were? Um, and are there any comics tie-ins for you?
2: So, uh, I got pulled into DC back during the 90s cartoon shows, um, Batman animated series and so on. I actually have every single one of those on DVD on my bookshelf, along with, uh, every single form of Superman media before that until the most recent, uh, things. I mean, I have all of Smallville, Lois and Clark, all that. Uh, I grew up obsessed with Superman such that for my 16th birthday, some friends bought me a giant plush, uh, Superman pillow with like a head and limbs attached and it's kind of creepy and that was 14 or 15 (laughs) years ago and i'm still looking at it so
0: (laughs) uh, (laughs) please make that your skype icon because your your skype icon is great but now i have to see the (laughs) pillow
2: oh i uh i i I can't reach it right now but i might have to do that in a bit it's uh it's Pretty ridiculous, but I am unabashed in my love for Superman, uh, and mostly because of how aspirational and how hopeful a character he is, which is why I'm not necessarily a fan of the current DC film stuff, but, uh, but that kind of took me into all of the DC Universe stuff. And when they started doing the Berlantiverse, I was, I got really into it. And of course, when they announced the Supergirl show, I was going to be on board. I mean, it's about time we got a, uh, superhero show with a female lead and it was really cool for it to be supergirl because she represents pretty much all the same things that I love in superman so uh yeah that was my way in
0: <sighs> so inspiring
3: okay jess your turn <laughs> <laughs> all right uh here i should admit that
0: i um don't read comics at all uh that's, that's all right it's not a per- <laughs> prerequisite for the show <laughs> uh and
3: uh and i actually resisted uh watching any of the berlantiverse shows uh until a friend of mine sort of uh strong-armed me into watching the flash uh, you know about halfway through its first season mm-hmm. and which i immediately fell in love with it uh i just love the just the the optimism and uh and how just adorable all of the characters are are awesome, <laughs> aren't they yeah <laughs> Oh. And uh, and then uh, I, that kind of forced me to go back and watch All of Arrow, which I <laughs> not find, so adorable are they? <laughs> yeah, slightly less adorable. <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, and you know it's 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 fun, but it's not really my favorite. Uh, yeah. I I I have not seen any of this season yet, although I hear they're doing pretty good, uh, interesting yeah. stuff this season, um, but. Yeah, I ha- I'm not in love with it the way I am in love with The Flash. Yeah, uh, And when I heard that they were doing a Supergirl show, I was totally on board, um, even though it was a different network. Uh, I know nothing about, like I said, I know nothing about the comics. I kind of vaguely remember the movie from when I was very, very young. Uh, but I do love the idea of an iconic woman superhero and a whole show just dedicated to that just warmed the cockles of my heart (laughs) so uh so I, i watched i've been watching since the beginning i think it is even cuter than the flash if that is possible uh and uh yeah and i just um i really appreciate uh like the others said just the upbeat nature of it the cheerful optimism of it um yeah it's it really uh, I really identify with Kara in a lot of ways, even though I'm not an alien.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you work, do you work in the media? Cause that might be, that might be another, uh, another alien life form at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't
3: really, I sometimes review, but I'm, but I'm not anything close to a reporter or anything like yeah. that or any other media type person. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, no, one of the, um, things that's come up because everybody's like, yeah, legends of tomorrow. Um, I have it going as background noise every once in a while. And, um, one of the things that does stand out is compared to the other Berlantiverse shows. They really haven't done a whole lot of, um, and, and th- this is actually a super girl, super cast. I'm gonna get back to it in a minute, but for legends of tomorrow, they haven't really done a whole lot of groundwork, uh, with relationships for anybody. Like these guys are perpetually squabbling. And, um, I think that uh, a show where it's basically like can these, can these clowns learn to get along in Nazi Germany this week? Can these clowns learn to get along in in feudal Japan? Can these clowns learn to get along during the Civil War? Like that's kind of stressful. Whereas, um, if you were to throw the Flash Crew into feudal Japan, you'd like be sitting back and sharing. because <laughs> you 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 know how they, they you know how the well-oiled team works. So I, I wonder if maybe a little bit of the appeal of both the flash and supergirl comes down to the fact that both characters inhabit um a world with a really robust and well-oiled social circle like they have pe- they they have their people that they know are there for them and with legends of tomorrow like they're 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 always like at each other's throats and ugh, really come on so
2: I would agree I'm completely caught up on legends of tomorrow and that feels yeah. perfectly right to me it just they get tiring sometimes whereas with the yeah. others you can let go and watch and just enjoy the ride sometimes
0: yeah i mean I'd liked early arrow for a lot of the same reasons too. Um, and I think there was like actually one episode where I laughed so hard. I cried when uh, it was, I think Diggle and Roy and Thea were all riding in a car and Roy was in the backseat. He just kind of mugged and made faces the whole time that everyone else was talking to each other. And just the, the interplay of the characters was, was beautiful. I missed Roy. <laughs> anyway, um, this is not the let's talk about everything, but super. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk. We are going to be covering episodes three and four today. Um, the first, uh, or I should say, episode three is called Welcome to Earth. And episode four is called Survivor. Episode three, which is basically the Welcome to Earth episode, is um, the one where the president wants to sign a piece of um, legislation that, you know, is basically, hey, aliens, we see you. Welcome. We're, we're so glad you're here in our country. And um, she wants to offer the aliens amnesty and citizenship. This is not a universally popular idea. And so throughout the course of the episode, Kara has to fight an alien who would prefer to take out the president. And there are some really interesting scenes and one humdinger of a reveal. So before we get going, I want to point out to anyone listening at home, if you have not watched episode three, we are going to be discussing the whole episode and the end. So that includes spoilers. Now it's fine to bail out and then come back to us after you've listened or watched it or or whatever. But I don't want to hear about us spoiling you now because we're giving you a lot of warning. All right. That in play. Let's talk about, um, episode 3 and the conflict at the heart of the episode which is um do you embrace which is pretty much kara and hank come into philosophical disagreement do you do you embrace all aliens as they come or do you treat them with hostility and suspicion because of what they're capable of um i want to get your guys thoughts on um the dialogue that kara and hank had at one point uh talking about um what immigrants or aliens can you know can mean to a society and how we deal with uh new and different things coming into our midst like this
1: i i mean i thought it was interesting that hank you know he is an alien uh yeah. and that he had such a uh, strong uh anti-alien opinion if you will and then also uh, uh Related to that, there's the contrast also with Alex and Maggie and their opinions on aliens. Uh, uh, but um, I, I was kind of surprised. I, I mean, I know Hank has been working for this organization for quite some time. Uh, so he's seen kind of the bad side of aliens, but he literally is one of the good aliens. So I, I was kind of surprised. Yeah,
0: his his stance, especially when his first contact with the DEO is they're trying to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, this is like he wouldn't he wouldn't have assumed the... Um, he, he wouldn't have assumed the, the identity of, of a dead man and everything if they had not tried to kill him. But I thought it was really interesting when Hank and um, Kara had their tête-à-tête their, their over this. And he's like, look, aliens can't be trusted. I've been tracking them down. We're the exceptions that proves the rule. And then he adds, by the way, humans are not that great either because <laughs> I have been living this experience as a person – as a black person in an American society. And I was actually legitimately surprised, like in a good way, I was legitimately surprised that the show went there.
3: Yeah, me too. And I was really impressed. Uh, mm-hmm. th- yeah, it hit me square in the gut. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I agree. And I think the uh, the conversation within the DEO, specifically between uh, Kara and Hank, it felt really familiar to me. Um, I-, I guess most of you don't know that uh, I'm the son of immigrants, and my parents are from the Middle East. And so our family and friends are many of them are immigrants, most of them, in fact, and they are split opinion, like there are these conversations come up at Thanksgiving, and you have people very visibly on opposite sides of this kind of thing. It just, it felt very familiar to have people who are in the group that is being spoken about who have differing opinions of it. And it's that bit of real life complexity that it feels real to me, it tracks as real.
0: All right, so after a brief technical bubble on my end, um, I want to get back and revisit uh, something that Michael was saying right before my computer decided to freeze, which was that uh, this episode, uh, in some ways, mirrored your experience where these are the kind of conversations you've had, you've watched your family members have at get at togethers and things like that, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just being the son of immigrants and being friends with many other immigrants, it is a very common conversation. And it's really interesting to see... Where I would imagine people without that experience might not think this is a realistic conversation to have, but it totally happens on a pretty frequent basis, um, uh, pretty much every holiday, <laughs> and I'm, I'm expecting more of it come Thanksgiving. So. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Can we but, uh, send uh, yeah, you it,
0: preemptive care packages but, before it dies? <laughs> <laughs> oh, please do. <laughs> All right. Superman themed care package to Michael. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's always been something about both Supergirl and, and Superman is they've always been kind of a mirror of the immigrant experience. Um, you know, Superman especially, He because you, you look at his origin story and the whole point was about um, Superman as, as an assimilationist who – worked for a society that he had chosen to adopt, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite things about him is that he he becomes part of that society and represents it well, but then also defends those who have not been assimilated in quite as successfully as he has.
0: Yeah, and we go... We're ping-ponging a little bit, but to me, that's always been one of the more interesting things about the Superman versus Batman when there is like a versus dynamic is Superman represents one side of the American experience, which is that of um, immigration and choosing to integrate yourself in the fabric of society and Batman represents an American exp- experience of um, native privilege and what you can choose to do with that. So I I think that's always a really interesting thing and it's kind of I, – I, I'm interested because they're playing it out across the Berlanti-verse, which is – which, which has a real which like everyone says it tends to be very optimistic in a lot of ways and so for them to say yeah we're going there we're going to immigration
1: <laughs> you
0: know it's been it's been kind it's been kind of notable um, so yeah this episode is basically Kara tries to make sure that an alien does not kill the president who wants to give aliens amnesty and um, you know by the and we also find out this is the episode where we find out that Kara has her own prejudices to deal with oh yes that broke my heart <laughs> <laughs>
1: I like thinking of Kara as perfect, and then she was <laughs> racist. Or I guess it's not they're, – their similar race, maybe it's planetist. I, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, no,
0: that was – because my husband and I were watching it, and he was like, wow, they are bigots. Holy crap.
2: <laughs> but yeah, she t- – At least they address it head on. Yeah.
0: And at least she owns it by the end, where she's like, I thought all of the wrong things. You suffered the consequences for it and i'm really sorry about that but you know it's it's interesting that it's just so culturally ingrained in in both of them too cuz he comes back with yeah your planet is just really filled with terrible boars and and she's like hey nest um <laughs> but yeah um it was interesting seeing that kara for all of her optimism and her loyalty has a blind spot the size of the moon <laughs> and and she has to own that in a minute and of course she does but the the fact is that it's still there and as we saw in episode 4 it's still not entirely settled either
2: right uh, there's also the element of uh, just going in because there's a line where when she's describing Daxum to you know the rest of her team uh it ties into some of the journalism issues which you you guys alluded to in the previous episode of the podcast but uh, she's not very good at impartially explaining things
3: no <laughs> no oh my god that's <laughs> an understatement
0: <laughs> yeah oh oh this is this is gonna be the thing it makes i'm not gonna say it's gonna make it hard to watch a tv show because like on the scale of things from one to hard this is nowhere near it but um snapper car is is like the way they're they're treating the snapper car character and the like he's not wrong when he tells Kara that she really needs to do a better job with sourcing her stories and and maybe not writing them from the perspective of an op-ed. Like he's entirely in the right, and they've just wrapped it up in just such a jerkstore package. It's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's part of the problem of Supergirl as a whole is because she's so good uh, everything she's done is almost presented as the good and right thing. Like she is the right reporter and snappers wrong for being, you know, cranky when he's not. Uh, and, and it happens a lot. And, you know, sometimes like with the racism thing, obviously that comes back to bite her. The show is like, no, she was actually wrong. Right. Uh, but sometimes it's like the show is endorsing that Kara is right and should be a slacker reporter and snapper is wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's also super unethical to use yourself as a source.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why she didn't use Lena Luther, yeah,
0: yeah. oh, can we talk about Lena Luther for a little bit here? because um oh yeah, because uh, do you guys have any theories on on who she is, what she's doing, what the deal is, why she has decided that this cub reporter is like her new bestie? Um There's a lot going on with with Lena all below the surface, and um, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I, um,
3: I I, really like her as a character. I think she's very, like, I don't know, mysterious. And, and that's really compelling. Um, but I, she hasn't left us a lot of bread breadcrumbs to sort of gauge where she's going. Um, the only thing I picked up on that seemed a little odd is the, like, brief two-second conversation they had about the flowers on her desk that went nowhere. And I didn't know if that was a thing or if that was just, I don't know random filler yeah it's probably a thing <laughs> uh but no i i really like her and i hope they do something interesting with her i mean i think they said they are setting her up to be something mm-hmm.
0: yeah i i really hope what i find interesting is she's kind of filling in the cat the, the cat grant role a little bit where it seems like powerful women really like kara and and like to help her succeed
1: i i don't know if that's I feel like they're taking advantage, Lena is taking advantage of that. Mm. I, and maybe this is me just not trusting Katie McGrath after Merlin. Uh, but I, you know, and the name Luther, mm-hmm. obviously, but I, I feel like she would know about the relationship between Kat and Kara, and she knows Kat is gone. And I, and I, I can't remember if it was in this episode or the next one, but I think it was in this one. But there was this ominous, like, uh, uh you'll return the favor one day. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like she's giving things that don't harm her to uh Kara so that even even if Lena is not evil, uh it's, you know, so that someday when I reveal this major plan that's not necessarily evil, but just like, you know, shenanigans in the business world, you'll support me as a reporter. But of course, being that she's a Luther and this is a uh DC show, uh, she's probably evil.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know it. I, in a way, I'd would love it if it turns out her big tragedy. She's trying not to be evil, but she just kind of gets boxed in somehow. Um, yeah, Yeah, because she's emphasized, I was adopted. These are my people. I have to struggle with that, and um, I, I feel like the fact that she's brought up a few times how I I I had this name chosen for me this is the family that chose me and now I have to choose to do this um in a way it kind of par- parallels Kara's whole well I, I got in a capsule because I was supposed to go protect my cousin I wouldn't have chosen it but I'm here so I have to do it um so there are parallels there um the same way you know st- there have in the past been like Smallville did a whole lot with uh, the really fraught relationship between uh, Clark and Lex and so I wonder if we're getting a little bit of of, of reverberations of that It could be. It could be. Um, So can we talk about that last scene in um, episode three? Like after after the president goes through and thanks everybody and then rounds- I wasn't
1: emotionally prepared for that. (laughs) Yeah. And then rounds the corner and the face goes alien. And you're just like, what the- (laughs) <laughs> the, the, the the crazy thing is, right before that, I was fangirling because mm-hmm. Kara was like, "I love your your Air Force One," and she was like, "You should see my other jet." <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, and nudge, and I was like, jet. Oh yeah. <laughs> And then she's an alien. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then the question, I guess, that we're supposed to chew on until things develop over the course of the season is: Is she going to be one of those aliens that John Jones warns you about? Or is she, you know, just like, well, I was bored. So, you know, a little shapeshifting, a little politics. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, and then there's the, has she been alien her entire life? Or is she, ta- has she taken the place of the president? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole lot of, that they could do this.
0: Exactly. So. Yes. 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 But um, I will admit, like, she rounds the corner and does the thing, and, and, and the, the face shifts. And I was like, oh, my, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> 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 and it's very satisfying.
2: I wrote down, uh, the president is an alien of some kind, reminding us that if you haven't verified yet, everyone on this show is an alien.
0: Yes, (laughs) yes. And you have just touched on one of the themes for this season. Um, You actually touched on two of them. And the first one is, um, the first thing is, it seems like this show is beginning to um, develop a theme about how people hide in plain sight, you know, where they have found ways to blend in and assimilate, but they can Pick up or discard identities as they need to, or show you who they are as they need to, you know. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you think about and and perhaps we can talk about that a little bit more after we talk about episode four, which is basically the Alien Fight Club episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, and the sec- and then the second one. At some point, you know, my, my we're watching and I was just like, is everyone on the show going to turn out to be an alien? And I thought that would actually be kind of funny <laughs> if like the series ends and like Wynn's face turns into just a riding mask of eyeballs. And-
1: <laughs> it's it's like Grimm, you know, mm-hmm. in Grimm, everyone in Portland is apparently a fairy tale creature. I oh my- you know. <laughs> everyone in, uh, <laughs> in National City is apparently an alien. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Why National City? Is there some sort of like, under- is there some sort of like intergalactic bulletin board that's like, for a good time, these coordinates – but, um, well
1: no one wants to move to Gotham. No. So.
0: <laughs> Why would you? It's dark all the time there and rainy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's stuck in 1930s America. Let's not move there. No, <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> yeah. They're, they still think Prohibition's a thing. Um <laughs> <laughs> So this the the second episode that I wanted to discuss is the one, episode four. It's titled Survivors. And um the 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 Twitter description might as well be Alien Fight Club. Um <laughs> because uh there's a woman a roulette who sets up uh cage matches between different aliens and the rich and well connected uh apparently have nothing better to do than um put on their elaborate little masks and go and sip cocktails and cheer as aliens beat each other up and or kill each other and over the course of this episode um it's uh it's it's made clear that a lot of people don't mind this happening because better them fighting than you know humans <laughs> And um, also, over the course of this episode, we get an inkling that Alexis is going to have her own storyline this year. And that storyline is going to be that Alexis is going to discover that, you know, that she has broader ideas about who she should date than she previously thought. So, so, um, you know, because that, that's something that I think is coming up too. This is where they're sending Alexis's story. Yeah. So, I wanted to talk a little bit about the um, alien on alien violence and what it was like to watch that. And the other thing I want to talk about is the um, John and Megan plot line. Because um, the, the, the two approaches they had are, um, you know, he's like, I want to connect with people because I'm no longer the last Martian. There's another Martian. And she's like, I just really want to forget I was ever on Mars. And she tells him the story about how, you know, some white Martian helped them escape and did an active resistance. And here she is. And then there's the big twist. Oh yeah.
2: that was a really rough twist, wasn't it? It was awful. Yeah. Oh my god. Um,
0: so again, we should um, just in case you haven't been put off by the spoiler warning for episode three, spoiler warning for episode four. We are going to talk about the very last scene. So if you haven't seen the end of episode four, stop listening now. Come back when you have. Um, we find out that Megan is not in fact a green Martian like John is, but she's the she's a white Martian. You know, in other words, like five times the size of John, and and the oppressors and not the oppresses. And um what I found myself wondering after that whole Ah, oh, this twist, it's terrible. What I found myself wondering is do you think she was talking about herself when she was talking about there was somebody in the camps, the 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 white Martian who who tried to help, or do you think that's like some sort of fantasy that she tells herself to feel better about her role? Um like that story is really well thought out. So I I'm hopeful. I think it's true. Yeah. I Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think it's true, but she still blames herself because, like, that that still doesn't change the fact that you were a Nazi, Yeah, you know, and and you weren't Schindler hiding people. You were working in the camp, right? Like, until one day it was too much. Yeah. So she still would feel incredibly guilty, even if it was true that in the end she turned on her own and left.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: It's just, it would just be much, a much more interesting storyline if she were this conflicted reformed you know person instead of another because uh, one of my problems with supergirl is that the villains tend to be extremely two dimensional mm-hmm. they're like i you know good or evil uh i mean you know the good the good people are good and the villains are evil um and uh and so i think it would just be i i very much hope that it's more than that yeah
2: Yeah, uh, it would give some reasonable motivation for why she's presenting herself as a Green Martian as well, Mm -hmm. because she was presenting herself that way even without John around. And it's maybe she doesn't want to be seen as a White Martian. Maybe she's, you know, ashamed of her own species and therefore wants to be seen as a Green Martian because they're seen differently. And, uh... And it would potentially give a really good narrative to John when he discovers the truth and how he has to deal with it if it turns out she is worth his sympathy and his understanding and maybe he'll be able – there'll be some weird story arc where he has to come to peace with a white Martian and how weird would that be for him?
0: Yeah, the sense of betrayal that he's going to have – yeah, because yeah, one of the things I'm wondering is if she's choosing to, to, pose as, to, to pose as a green Martian is what I'm wondering is if like, in the intergalactic community, they're like, oh, you know, white Martian is basically like code for Nazi. And so of course, she's like, no, I live in South America. I'm blonde. It's like, eh, we've always lived in South America.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't look too closely I- at my children, Gretel and Hans. Um <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's interesting because I feel like they've been pushing almost like a uh, dad Hank, mm-hmm. right, where he's like team dad to Kara and Alex. And I feel like with Megan, that's also the role he immediately wanted to take because he lost his daughters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has this like paternal uh bent and uh he he wants to bring megan under his wing like that i feel like and so what's the betrayal when you realize she's not this young green martian you thought she was she is your oppressor and how how's that going to be for him and how's that going to be for the dad hank storyline is that going to embitter him against you know
0: everyone yeah yeah will his surrogate daughters be the ones to help him out after a while um and to to touch on that point too there was uh a plot thread laid down in season one that um, has been alluded to a couple times in previews through this series so far where the um, Dan, like dad Danvers is actually alive. Like he's just in some super secret facility. And now Alex and Carl are like, we're going to go find him. And how is Hank going to cope when um, the girls quote unquote real dad comes back in the picture, but he's been the one who has been, you know, worrying for their safety and, uh, uh patching them up after every mission and and being there for them every step of the way like how, how's that going to affect him in addition to you know when he finds out that this martian he was hoping to have fellowship with is uh you know a nazi so <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah yeah so
0: this is going to be a pretty hang a pretty I, I i feel bad for hank i really do um but yeah i you know the the fight scenes i actually found the fight scenes pretty upsetting especially uh you know Kara gets beat up which is always a little bit like oh wow um especially since we saw stuff earlier this season that shows that she's just as strong as her cousin so you're like ooh, Mm -hmm. there are aliens walking on this planet that are in fight club that can that can kill superman and supergirl and then the the john and megan scene was pretty upsetting fight wise as well yes yeah Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um So there's that. Um, Let's see. So we find out. So it looks like Alex... um, Let's move on to Alex Danvers, Kara's sister. Because after the meet cute in episode three, it looks like she is getting interested in Maggie Sawyer, the uh, detective, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then we find out at the end of the episode, Maggie's got a girlfriend. And Alex is all, I'm really disappointed and I can't parse why.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Though, you know, I actually don't know if they're going to go that route of she doesn't know why, because they've not alluded to Alex having any relationships, have they? Didn't she go on
0: a date with, um, um, what's his name? Yeah, face? what's his, I couldn't stand him. Uh, Maxwell Lord. Lord. Maxwell Lord, yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, uh, I thought that was for a mission. <laughs> I guess she was, I, I, I assumed that she was playing him. Uh. So, because that was when Kara and, uh, uh, Hank were trying to infiltrate the, uh, facility, I thought. Mm-hmm. But, um. Uh, so I, it, this could be a coming out story for Alex, right? Or it could be, she's always been that way. And we just didn't know that as the viewer.
3: I think that works with the, you know, hiding in plain sight theme. Uh, you Mm -hmm. know, there's this thing about her that has always been there that she hasn't really examined or maybe just hasn't expressed to anyone. Uh, but it's been there
0: the whole time. Yeah. I think, I think poor Alex has kind of suffered in terms of characterization because they seem to characterize her in reaction to a lot of things as opposed to someone mm-hmm. having to sit, uh, sit, sitting down and going, okay, this is who Alex is and these are the circumstances. But, you know, they have kind of painted her as kind of a reactionary mess. And I'm not sure it's fair to the character in, and the actress is doing her best. But, um, I'm for this storyline if it's Alex quietly figuring out her stuff without, you know, having to bounce it off Kara or make it about Kara, you know? Yeah, I think
3: she
1: definitely needs a storyline that is not Kara centric. Yeah. I, I really loved that scene where Kara was superfluous mm-hmm. when they were looking at the the body and the trunk and it was uh Alex, Maggie, and Kara was standing there and Alex and Maggie were talking to each other and Kara was like, Why am I even here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I have places I could be. I have snapper car on my on my rear end about the terrible lack of stories. Um yeah, that <laughs> I Have you all know I'm heroically restraining myself from not talking further about the journalism storyline and how much I hate it. (laughs) 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 So can we also talk about this episode's most unlikely pairing? And I am referring, of course, to Wynne and (laughs) 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 Mon-El.
2: Was anyone else just dying while they were uh, out partying? Because... I, I just I could not get enough of that. Yeah. It was just so much fun. Yeah, you know,
1: it's about time it. for Win to have a friend though. I mean Yeah. He needs someone.
0: <laughs> yeah, he needs a pal. And um, you know, they had a ni- he had a nice thing going with James last year, even when they were both um, you know, had like having hearts in their eyes over Kara, but they were still pals. And they were in, like, the conspiracy of we know who Kara is, and now James is busy running Capco, and he's at the DEO, and I like that that Monal is now his new bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so there's that. And um, mon was nowhere near the Fight Club. What do you guys think about the decision for the, for, for, for the writers where they're like, yeah, we're going to keep this new alien who is nearly as strong as Kara completely away from the Fight Club scenes?
2: I think it probably showed restraint more than anything. You know, they, they could have thrown him in. They could have used him as a... But, but instead, it's like, you know what? Let him learn some lessons. Let him show how much more restraint he has than, say, Kara mm-hmm. has shown yeah. in the past. Uh, because it all it only took him one small mistake to be like, oh, you guys are worried about other people. You guys are worried about me doing something to other people. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I'll listen now. And uh, he didn't need to be taken to yeah. the Fight Club to learn that, you know?
0: Okay. So... Um... There we go. We've pretty much chit chat. Is there anything we're missing when we talk about episode four? Anything you guys would like to bring up? Or um...
2: yeah, um, so I there's the storyline, of course, about uh, Monel arriving from Dexam. and I'm really confused as to why a Kryptonian shuttle was there <laughs> on the planet. Didn't and they say it belonged
1: it's... to the emissary in his in his cut scene? Well, not cutscene, That's the wrong word. In his scene, that was like a memory that may or may <laughs> not be true because. I, my money is on he is actually the prince. But mm-hmm. uh, he they were like, he's like, what is this shuttle? That's a Kryptonian shuttle. And he's like, the emissary is already dead. Uh, so you get in it. So uh, I thought okay. it was the ambassador slash emissary from Krypton's shuttle. Though why it was just in the middle of a courtyard like that <laughs> instead of a spaceport, I, I don't
2: know. They don't have parking lots and apparently on uh, Daxom. Well, and they also talk about uh, the fact that he was with the royal family on the war planet, on the war world, and that's why he knew the secret for how Kara could take the guy down. It's like, well, if you guys travel off Earth and Kryptonian, or off planet and Kryptonians do too, why are there only two Kryptonians and I one know, Daxamite and left?
1: Why didn't they had like, a whole it, war? They must have like all these ships, or
0: they must have intelligence <laughs> networks because you know there would have been spies on both sides, and like the Daxamites could have been like, you know, Krypton is about to blow, and the wreck and and it's going to kill our environment so you know we we have the technology let's go terraform a planet and and do this all over again someplace away from our horrible neighbors who are about to blow up like it like the blowing up of krypton is a tragedy and it's never made much sense to me and i realized that metaphors break down (laughs) but i i was like really an entire planet full of like left left brain geniuses and and the, the best plan you have is let slingshot a baby and a teenager into space <laughs> like this is your big plan there council of whatever <laughs> oh we'll put our psychopathic criminals in a dimension where they can pop out after we're gone and we're gonna slingshot a baby <laughs> and a teenager into space It will work out
1: why more. weren't they <laughs> beaming people up to the negative zone Yeah, like right before like it, sure they'd be in stasis or whatever but they'd be alive and then they could just like encode something
0: on a satellite and then when somebody discovers that they can be like oh cool people in the negative zone zip, zip. And they're back out again.
2: <sighs> I just, I get the feeling that, for you know, five seasons from now, we'll have gotten you know one or two Daxamites or Kryptonians every season. They're like, oh yeah, I was off planet for this other reason, and I didn't know why you guys were here. Uh, and also, why did his ship go to Earth too? That's a, that's another question. Why did it go to Earth specifically instead of some so other random place? Yeah. So.
0: Because in the flashbacks, too, he's already an adult. So he's in some kind of stasis compared to, to Kara, who um gets knocked into – gets knocked into whatever. And Because she was a teenager. Right. so Like, the timelines – I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure the timelines quite sync up. I mean, maybe if I sat down with, like, graph paper and, like, are like, okay, a baby, a teenager, and a Daxamite all leave their planets going <laughs> – At a rate of acceleration, approximately 9.8 meters per second squared, (laughs) the baby lands on Earth in approximately so many light years, the young woman gets knocked into stasis.
2: I think they said that she got stuck in the Phantom Zone along with the uh, whatever the thing was that all the prisoners were in. And so she got knocked loose the same time they did. That still doesn't explain Um, the Daxamite. no, it doesn't man- explain the Daxamite. He still is a uh, no. Because in theory, field.
0: if you had more Daxamites and kryptonites coming down Earth, they'd be like middle aged or older at this point,
1: because they would have been yeah. next yeah. over. I'm just saying. Look, I know i I am a space engineer. This is literally what I do. But if Earth was blowing up and we knew that, we have the capability to send people in a ship. Somewhere, if We may not know where it's going, right? And they'd just be in space until they run <laughs> out of supplies. But we could do that. Like, does Krypton, why didn't they just, like, load a whole bunch of people on something, you know, and just shove them into space and be like, eventually you'll get somewhere or you'll die in space, but at least there's hope. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: Look, hydroponics surely have have not been, you know, confined to the pot farmers of Northern California. Like, they, they discovered that type of thing. <laughs> Huh. But no, so so now now Mandy, I desperately want to talk to you about Neil Neil Stephenson's novel Seven Eves because that's that that you know well because it starts off with that ga- yeah with that gander where we're going to put a bunch of people.
1: I did not read Seven Eves based on the incomparable podcast about Seven Eves. Oh no. <laughs> You guys, I feel like, saved me that experience okay. uh, from being angsty for 1,000 pages. So uh, thank you. Okay. All right. Good to know. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I, I should also point out, um, to, to, to loop it back around to the episode for a moment before I get into, you know, themes or, or talking about what we're hoping for for future episodes, too. Um, I have seen uh, – Dyken, is it Dykenlachen or Dychenlachen? How do you pronounce her name? It's the woman who... I think it's Dietchen Lochin. Okay, I have seen Dychenlachen in Dollhouse and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and now this. And, um, man, I really have a hard time getting excited when she's on the screen. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I loved her in Dollhouse. I thought she was, like, one of the only... Not one of the only good things, but she was a bright spot in that very murky show. And uh, But I have not liked her in Agents
0: of S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, in here, it's just... I mean, I found myself wondering about the bodyguard. I was like, "Wow, that must have just been a terrible gig." Because they're like, "Please show up five hours before shooting because we have to put a snake all over you." And then, yeah, you know, because I, I remember um, when I was covering Prison Break, there, there was a whole lot of talk about how like poor Wentworth Miller effectively had to spend like four or five hours a day in a in a makeup chair to to apply all the tattoos. Um, and so I thought about that as I was looking at her. But yeah, I just really. Um, she popped on the screen and she's one of those people, she looks like she'd make a fantastic comic book character. Like she's got just really striking planes in the face and she carries herself like a dancer. And the minute she opens her mouth, I'm like, up oh, there we go. <sighs> <laughs> so it made it a little tough to um, get engaged in the episode a little because um, she did not land for me as somebody who is like, yeah, I am. Who was like, I am totally fine with blood sports and betting. Like, you know, she seemed just kind of bored by, it and not in a whole. I've seen everything, and I'm really rich, and oh god, existence kind of way. But rather, here are the lines. I'm saying the lines. I'm. In, I have a tattoo. Off we go. Um, so that was my ob- obstacle to get around. Um, I don't know. Do you guys ever find deal breakers like that in episodes, or is there anything on the show where if a character comes on or a plotline comes out, you're all, you're already like. <sighs> Yeah, you're here.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I get that way anytime, uh, not not always with Cadmus, but uh, anytime, uh, what's her name, Amanda yeah. Waller as a character is just, for whatever reason, I have a really hard time accepting Amanda yeah. Waller storylines. Uh, <laughs> which is a really weird thing, because it comes up a lot in DC stuff, but... Uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of checked out for a little bit in Arrow, and she was a big part of that, and uh, I guess I'm thankful that her character's been essentially written out now, because so, she can't crop <laughs> up again. But
1: I don't
3: know, I zone
2: <laughs> out during all Arrow flashbacks. I don't even know what's happening
1: to the flashbacks <laughs> in Arrow right now. I thinks think they know what's
0: happening. <laughs> <laughs> and somewhere Guy and, and Dan are like, wait, what? Someone's talking about her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah for me it's sometimes actually yeah this show i'm pretty engaged most of the time and i'm a reporter married to another reporter and so every time we get to like the the scenes inside catco like last year we would just be like laughing hysterically going do they know how websites work and this year we're basically laughing hysterically we're like oh poor snapper car <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, poor guy. I mean, he's not a nice yeah. guy, but he's right. Like 99% of the time he's saying no. anything. And,
0: and the problem is, is with not the problem with the casting, but because he's played by Ian Gomez. And um, I loved Cougar Town. <laughs> I keep thinking of his goofy, goofy character from Cougar Town. I'm like, Oh, my God, this is like some kind of evil twin. <laughs>
1: So I'm an engineer, married to an engineer, Mm. and uh, my husband is incapable of divorcing reality from uh, TV when it comes to engineering, whereas (laughs) I'm just like, you know what? (laughs) She just blew out, or he did, uh, Superman in like the first episode, blew out an engine with breath. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way. But you know, at this point, I've accepted Iron Man. I've accepted, you know, Mm -hmm. all of these things that are not humanly... Or not physically possible yeah uh so it but it's really hard uh sometimes when you're just like. You know, Kara breaking that device of Lena Luther's, like, broke my heart. Yeah. Like, I don't care what that device was for. It was for aliens. Some poor engineer now has to go through a failure review board for his design. That's a failure he didn't even cause because some alien burned it with our heat vision. Like, how are you going to, like, they're going to be like, what sort of energy surge caused this? It was sitting inert and now it's broken. And I, I, I've been that engineer who's just sitting there, like, I don't know why it didn't work. <laughs>
2: Also, why does the alien detector thing suddenly start saying that you're not an alien when it's supposed to be broken because of eye, <laughs> eye beams?
1: I don't know. She, you I, would think fusing I, the insides oh. together with eye beams, which is the only thing she could have done, would mean it just didn't work at all. But science right, is that's magic what I was in expecting. TD. Writers have no understanding of how science and space and time and physics work. And uh, <laughs> you know, if anyone on DC would like me to advise them on science oh my god i'm here for you
0: (laughs) oh this is the greatest science we're gonna have to title this episode science is magic on tv that's it
2: (laughs) i was gonna say we can't really say i'm no scientist because mandy is so
0: this is this is important yeah it's um (laughs) (laughs) mandy that was beautiful oh my god it's like the strongest argument for a stem for a stem education i've ever heard (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, you know you don't spend uh six years of your life in college learning about space to watch things like you know to
0: watch supergirl blink at a a device yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so when you and your husband went to see the movie the martian was there just a whole lot of every time
1: (laughs) oh no the martian is great okay like uh the only the only thing about the martian that got me was uh as soon as i saw because i read the book and i really enjoyed it but as soon as i saw the scenes that took place at jpl i called my friend at jpl and i was like jpl is not that hip is it and he was like no <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I love> it. <laughs>
0: oh my gosh so i wanted to you know what i wanted to circle back on some big things but we have already gone um nearly an hour on this podcast. And one of the policies that we here at TV and Incomparable have when it comes to TV-related podcasts is we try never to make the podcast longer than an actual episode. So it is with great regret that I am going to start, um, you know, <laughs> waving my finger in the wrap-up motion. And uh, the one last thing I wanted to ask you guys, we'll go around and do this, um, and this will be how we wrap up. The one thing I want to ask you guys is how are you feeling about the season so far and what are you looking forward to seeing unfold Jess, would you like to uh, talk talk a little bit about what, what you're excited about so far from the season and what you're looking forward to or what you're keeping an eye on? Uh, yeah, I am really interested in this
3: parallel that they've set up between the Green Martians and the White Martians and um, and using uh, the, uh, you know, Black people to represent the Green Martians, mm-hmm. so we think, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and I really like that. Parallel, and I think it's very um, daring mm-hmm. of them, and uh, and I'm really hoping that they take it somewhere um, interesting. Although I'm a little worried because there mm-hmm. are there are some huge
1: pitfalls that they could fall into. So that's sort of where I'm looking.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, how about you, Mandy?
1: i uh, the The thing I have been most excited about for this season, which wasn't really in these two episodes, was the conflict of uh found slash adopted family versus a uh, genetic family, mm-hmm. which we saw a lot in the first two episodes and even here some with Hank and Megan versus you know how he feels about Alex and uh, Kara but as someone who comes from a uh mixed family with uh adopted persons i uh, that is a story that Rings true to me, and I have been Alex in that situation when uh, the "quote unquote" you know genetic family comes in, and you're like, "But I'm your sister." Yeah, uh, and uh, that's a uh, you know it's a true story that happens to a lot of people, and I'm interested to see how that plays out, and hopefully how everyone kumbayas and comes together and loves each other by the end because mm-hmm. this is super cool. Yeah, <laughs> gotta keep that optimism. And how about you, Michael?
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, we talked plenty about the just. About inclusion and people hiding in plain sight. I'm looking forward to more twists about uh, more people's identities not being quite Mm -hmm. what we expect them to be. Um, I'm looking forward to which things don't turn out to be, uh, become any source of conflict and which things do. Uh, I'm looking into looking forward to Kara and Alex teaming up against John more because it's always really funny when they do. Uh, and, uh, and just seeing how they help him guide through whatever inevitable disappointment he's going to have with the the Megan storyline and, um, just seeing everyone come together and kind of unify on one side especially just in light of real world discussions that are happening right now uh it's I, i'm i'm looking forward to this storyline and just how that plays out
3: i'm also looking forward to more president wonder woman <laughs> yes yes <laughs>
0: Oh, I hope she does the twirl at some point. I really do. Oh my gosh, that would be the greatest. Well, I want to thank you all for participating in this. This has been a great podcast. And I also want to remind listeners that if you join the Incomparables Facebook community and uh, post on the Supergirl threads, we can add you to the Slack where we do plan out these podcasts and we can throw your name into the lottery with everybody else. Um, the Supergirl podcast, the Supergirl Supercast really, is predicated on um, me looking at the dozens of volunteers we have running names through random.org and then seeing what we come up with for the results i'm really excited because it's the first podcast that you guys have helped us build from the ground up and i want to thank everybody who's volunteered for it and who continues to do so and i want to thank you guys for the great experience i had with you today so great job give yourself a hand and uh i look forward to seeing you guys and hearing again on subsequent episodes thanks everybody